cool as. How good's church? Good to be here tonight, isn't it? Why don't you grab a seat? And I uh, just want to pass on my welcome to you as well. If I haven't met you, I would love to do so at some point. It uh, can be hard in a big church like this. But can we thank the band? They've blessed us tonight with their service and their gifts. Thank you, team. You know the fastest way to grow your muscles by 30 centimeters? Get up on the big screen. That's so good. Eh? Uh, just saw that tonight. That's awesome. Thanks to the tech guys. Hey, uh, I just pray that you're seeking to hear God's word tonight. Uh, we're gonna be, we're gonna be, you know, um, just looking at what He wants to say to us as a church. And these are times when we together lean into what He might be saying to us, not only as individuals but as a community. So I want to uh, warmly invite you to do that tonight. Uh, Psalm 133, verse one, says, "How wonderful and pleasant it is when brothers live together in harmony." What is it that, uh, that does bring us together? What is it that creates unity? Our culture, our world at the moment is an incredibly diverse, fragmented, and, and pretty pluralistic uh, place. The wealth and the opportunity that has been afforded to us in Australia and in most Western nations has enabled individuals to effectively autonomous, autonomously exist and pursue their own individual desires, chase after the, the ambitions and the dreams that they have. And in the midst of this diversity, you know, a diverse society of individual self-maximizers, the basis for unity in our world and in our culture today is everyone agreeing that they will run in their own lane and let everyone else run in their lane. Freedom of choice, freedom of belief, freedom of action. I'm pursuing this, I'm going to go after these things, and you feel free to go after those things, but don't make any claims on me, and I won't make any claims on you. Don't force me to conform to any standards. Don't force me to conform to the norms or the claims of anyone else around me. This is the narrative that's going on in our world today. And on the surface, this, uh, this thought around unity can seem to endow some sense of harmony. Uh, we see that in our nation. But in the reality of the world that we live, time actually shows this up to be a false basis for unity. I want to see if I can illustrate this a little bit to you. When I was growing up, and in fact, even still today, I thoroughly enjoy watching sport, love the AFL, love the cricket. And, uh, but my sisters didn't really love watching sport. Well, one of them sort of loved watching sport, but the other one really didn't. I'm not exactly sure what she was into. I think something like Gilmore Girls back in the day like that. And uh, generally, this was not a problem at all. I mean, she would be all for me watching the sport, and I'd be all for her watching Gilmore Girls, I think. And uh, it, it was absolutely fine. I mean, she'd do her thing, I'd do mine thing, except when we went on holidays. And where we went to holiday, there was only one TV. You can see where this is heading. Our apparent unity uh, in those particular moments uh, evaporated and our diversity collided on particular days when she wanted to watch something, they wanted to watch something, and I wanted to watch something else. And in that moment, us just going after our own things was actually shown to be a false basis for unity. You see, in that arrangement, division, division and conflict lay just underneath the surface. And 
In fact, this is what is happening in our world today as people pursue their own desires, each person to their own. Conflict and division is lying just around the corner, just underneath the surface as, as resources that are limited, as the desires that individuals are pursuing cross paths and conflict arises in that moment. Because of this, we as the church, if you're a Christian here tonight, we have an opportunity. We have an opportunity in this moment to be a counterculture, to demonstrate that there is a fundamental difference that Jesus makes to a community. Jesus makes a difference to the unity that exists within a group of people. We, as the church, have an opportunity to present Christ and to present the unity that is in Him to a fragmented and to a divided world that's increasingly in conflict with itself. I'm sure many of you will, unfortunately, have experienced the church not being united. Maybe you've had experiences in the past of conflict and division even amongst God's people. And often when we observe this, we wonder, how could this possibly happen? I mean, isn't the church meant to be unlike the world? Aren't we meant to be different? Isn't there meant to be unity amongst us? And so uh, tonight I want to ask the question, what is the basis for unity in the church? How can we as a church, here a local expression of uh, God's people, how can we ensure our unity into the future? What is it that actually brings us together here tonight. You can probably uh, guess from the heading that you saw on the screen before that it's got something to do with imitating Christ. And over the next four weeks, we're going to start a new series uh, at our 4.30 and 6.30 services, which looks at one particular chapter in Philippians, Philippians chapter 2. And there's some, some beautiful words in this particular chapter that talk about Christ stepping out of heaven and into the world in order to bring redemption to us. And we're going to riff on this particular chapter for the next four weeks and look at it from a few different angles and tonight from the perspective of unity. The Philippians, uh, Philippians is another of Paul's letter to the different churches in the Middle East and Asian region. This time uh, Philippi was in the northwest of what we now know as modern day Greece. Paul's in prison as he's writing this letter, literally in prison, he actually says that in the letter. And uh, the church that he's writing to in Philippi was also facing opposition for their faith. People outside of the church were starting to to persecute them, is the word that we use within the church, starting to, to get on their case, starting to do hurtful things towards them because of their faith in Christ. And into that context, Paul speaks these words from Philippians chapter 2. Let's read them together. They're going to come up on the screen, uh, but you can pull out your Bible if you want as well. Philippians chapter 2, verse 1 through 4. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. This is God's word to us uh, tonight as a church. About uh, five or six years ago now, I read Tim Keller's book on marriage. It's called The Meaning of Marriage. Highly recommend it to you if you haven't read it before. 
Uh, in this one particular section of the book, uh, I'm paraphrasing, I uh, couldn't find the quote exactly, but Tim Keller talks about the fact that when a marriage is strong, I understand that not all of you have experienced marriage before, if a marriage is strong, no matter what the circumstances are going on around that marriage for that individual, the, the world, the workplace could be a really tough place, there could be tough circumstances in their life around health and other things. If a marriage is strong, they will actually head out into the world in strength. They will be able, uh, the, the strength of that marriage will almost carry over into the circumstances that they face outside of it. And conversely, he talks about the fact that when a marriage is weak, even if everything else is perfect in that per particular uh, person's world at that moment, if the marriage is weak, they will move out into the world in a sense of weakness and it will be very difficult for them to cope even with good circumstances around them. I know Tim Keller's talking about marriage in that instance, but I think as I was reflecting on that, that principle actually carries over to the body of Christ. When Christians are facing difficulty, we as the church are facing difficulty from people outside of the church, unity for us is absolutely essential. We need to harmonize, we need to be at unity in order to simply survive. And conversely, and unfortunately, the outcome of division in the church, of conflict in the church, is usually that the witness of the church in the world will be weak. And often, in fact, when division and conflict occurs in the church, people will even leave it and abandon their faith in God, unfortunately, because of it. And so Paul's uh, call to the Philippians in this moment, as they're facing challenges from outside of them, he says, you must be unified. You must stand together here. And I'm sure you'd probably agree that's good advice, uh, even, you know, definitely when they're facing difficult circumstances, but even if they're not, that's probably good advice. But the question I want to wrestle with tonight and I want us to ask is what basis does Paul give uh, for us to be unified? How does this unity actually come about? John Piper shares about the unity that occurred in his church in 1965 where there was a, an absolute majority or unity in the church that forbidden black people to attend services in that moment. I don't think that that is the unity that the Bible speaks of. Uh, Paul says in verse 2 here, I want to pick this up. He says, Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. So it does appear that Paul is suggesting we, we're to have something that is the same. We're to have something that is exactly the same. Even in the diversity that is represented here in this room tonight, you look around, people from lots of different backgrounds. As, this, as diverse as we are, we are meant to have something which is the same. But to be honest, when I looked at that passage, I got a bit confused as to what it was that we were meant to have the same. You know, he's saying mind and he's saying love, being full accord. He says mind twice. Like, what, what, what's he getting at here? The key to working it out is to pick up on that word mind, and I think I've uh, highlighted it there. The, the Greek word mind is not only thinking like a cognitive agreement, but a vis visceral thinking is a, is a word that the scholars would use. Uh, they 
rather than saying mindset, they would say an attitude set. This word that Paul uses is almost like, not like a thinking, like a one mind thinking, but a one approach to life would be maybe a, a better way for us to be able to understand what Paul's getting at. He wouldn't use this word mind to say that you should all be of the same opinion. You know, uh, Paul wouldn't say that you guys need to be unified about your opinion as to whether TikTok is better than the gram. Uh, he, he wouldn't say that. That's not the word that he'd use there. All the old people are like, TikTok and the gram, what's going on here? <laughs> Paul's driving at an inner attitude when he says the mind here. Have the same mind. He's driving at an inner, inner attitude that governs one's life. He says, that is what I want you to all have the same. And just two verses on, he, he actually tells us what this mind is that we should have. Check this out. Verse 5 uses the same word. I've tried to show you that there. <laughs> That's the best I could do on PowerPoint. Didn't have my iPhone there. To... He says, have this mind, same word, among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. And to describe that mind, he has to tell a story, verses 6 through 8. Check this out. Have the same, have this mind, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the, the form of God, the very nature of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross." Paul is saying the, the attitude set, the inner attitude that we are to have as, as we approach life is the one that Christ had. This is what I want you to have the same. This is what I want you to have in common. And as we realize that, it opens up the other things he says. You see, this inner attitude that Christ had was one of love, wasn't it? This is why Paul says, have the same love. This attitude set comes to us by the power of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. And that what it, that's what it means to be a full accord. That word means to be co-spirited, co-spirited, to have the same spirit, the spirit of Christ. This attitude set that Paul's just described, that Christ had, is what we are to all have in common, and that will be the nature and the basis for our unity in the church. Uh, this attitude set might be best described as humility. And so it is as we imitate Christ's humility, this becomes the basis for unity in the church. I've even got it to rhyme so you can remember it tonight. Imitating Christ's humility is the basis for unity. We take up what Paul says about unity in Galatians chapter 3, 27. All who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ. In other words, they've put on this attitude, this approach to life. All who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. As we adopt this attitude set that Christ had, the divides and the diversity amongst us are abolished. The diversity is, we, we come together in the diverse nature of we are in unity as one. Unity will arrive as we adopt 
this attitude that Christ had, which was humility. And Paul teases this out. He teases out what this looks like and how this practically comes about in verses 3 and 4. He says, This inner attitude, when you have it, you will do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. A selfish ambition is the desire to build yourself up in your own eyes, often over and above others. Vain conceit is you seeking to build yourself up in others' eyes, doing something to, to impress others, to make yourself look significant, look, look you know, overinflated, I suppose you'd say. Paul says, do nothing from this place. The story uh, is told of a plane that threw, uh, flew sorry, through a flock of birds. And uh, as it did that, both engines were completely ruined. And the pilot uh, realizes this in this moment. And so he announces the problem. He announces this emergency situation to those on board. And uh, as he does that, he, he adds uh, that there are four of us on board, but only three parachutes. So we need to work out who gets the parachutes. He continued and he said, it's my plane, they're my parachutes, so I have to take one of them. The others on board agreed, so he strapped on one of the parachutes and jumped to safety, this pilot. Left on the aircraft was a a brilliant professor who was a rocket scientist, a minister of religion and a backpacker. In this moment, the professor jumped to his feet, insisting, I am one of the greatest minds in this country, I must survive Therefore, I must take one of the remaining parachutes. And uh, the, the clergyman and the backpacker thought that that sounded reasonable, and so they agreed to that. He prepared himself, this scientist, and uh, jumped out of the plane. The elderly clergyman in that moment started to explain to this young traveler, look, I've lived a long life. I don't actually fear death, so you can take the last remaining parachute. But she stopped him mid-sentence with, no, 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 it's, it, it's fine. That brilliant professor just jumped out of the plane with my backpack strapped on. <laughs> I, I love that story. You guys weren't laughing. My gosh, I read that. I'm like, that is brilliant. Gives you a sense for my uh, sort of humor. A selfish ambition and vain conceit is what really underlies the divided world uh, that we live in, isn't it? Everyone going after what they want, uh, chasing their individual desires, it sort of appears harmless enough. But as soon as these desires conflict, the people in our culture, the world seeks to power up in that moment and, and pull and push themselves up over others pulling others down, pushing themselves up. This is what causes conflict in our world. This is what causes conflict in your life, in fact. Division and disharmony amongst a group of people. Selfish ambition and vain conceit is absolutely an absolute devastation to a church. It devastates the community of God's people. James uh, has to address this. In one of the churches, we read it in James 4 verse 1. He says, what is causing the quarrels and the fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires 
at war within you. Selfish ambition and vain conceit, building ourselves up at the expense of others. Do nothing from that place, Paul says, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. This is Paul fleshing this attitude out again that Christ had. This does not mean that you need to walk around smashing your self-esteem, saying, I am absolutely rubbish, I know nothing, I'm good for nothing, everybody else is fantastic, but what, I'm just, a, I'm a nobody, I'm hopeless. I want to tell you, Jesus, when he came, stepped out of heaven and, and walked the earth, he knew that he was God. He knew his status. He knew the power that he had. He didn't try and forget that or suppress it. That is not what humility is. Scholar John Dixon describes humility like this. He says, humility is the noble choice to forgo your status, deploy your resources or use your influence for the good of others before yourself. God has given every one of us, every one of you here tonight, resources, capabilities, capacities, enablings, skills, gifts. Humility does not mean that you suppress them and you say, I don't really have those things. Humility means taking those enablings, taking that power and that strength that you have within you as an individual and using it in service and for the sake of others. Using it for others' good in their interest because you consider them valuable, you consider them significant. In fact, more significant than you, so much so that you are gonna allocate the resources that you have to them. Christ, though he was God, looked to our interests. Verse four, look to others' interests. Isn't this incredible? I don't know if you ever thought about this, I hadn't until I, I prepared for this sermon. Christ was in heaven, all glory, all splendor, and he was considering you. He was considering me. He was considering us. He was looking at us and looking at our plight and, and what we needed and what was good for us. But not only that, he took who he was, the God we read before, Jesus, the very nature of God. He is God. And because he is God, he was full of life. And he took the life that he had in him and he gave it to us through the cross. You see, Jesus came full of life, we read in Scripture, but Scripture also says that that life, the only way that that could be pushed to us was if, was if he died for us. So that we may have new life as we receive what he did on the cross and are resurrected by the power of the Holy Spirit that lives in us. Christ used his strength on your behalf. Do you know that? Christ used his power, his enabling, his strength on your behalf so that you might have new life. He used his immortality to defeat and rectify the death that you were in. He actually took death upon himself but because he was immortal, it could not overcome him. 
He showed death and sin up for what it was in your life so that you might live for him again. I want to say at this stage, uh, doctrine and theology are incredibly important in a church. Vision and mission are incredibly important. The way that we do things, important. The leaders within the church, important. These are all good and important things. But I want to tell you, if we do not share a common heart of humility, looking to each other's interests, giving of ourselves for the sake of others, all those good things will not equate to unity unless we operate out of humility. Unity will not exist in God's church. You can have all the right doctrine, you can do all the right things, but if there is not love, if there is not humility, Paul says, it will be wasted. This is why, I don't know if you knew this, but this is why humility is the leading value of our our church. We have a set of values that we seek to govern the way that we move and act as a church, and humility is the leading corporate value for us as a people. And I want to encourage you, if you're a part of this church, humility is playing out all the time in this place. Don't just feel like this is, uh, you know, this is not just discouragement here tonight. I want you to be encouraged, church. This is happening right now. Humility does exist in this place. Did you know that there are those who receive, have received great financial endowment, strength, power, capacity in that regard, and they have used that strength and that power and that financial endowment to bless uni students who didn't have enough money to serve at the Gold Coast for Red Frogs. Humility. Yeah, amen. It's terrific. Did you know helpful meals are cooked in this place? People taking a simple skill that they have, being able to cook and prepare a meal so that meals can be given to those who are in need, who are sick, who are doing it tough. Frubas are given all the time in this church. If you don't know what a fruber is, it's a friend Uber. It's a free Uber. They exist all the time in this place when people don't have transport. There are words of encouragement, words of prophecy that are spoken all the time in this place, given to people who are weighed down. That's thinking of other interests. Hey, how is that person going? How are they faring? What can I do to encourage them? How can I speak God's life and word to them? We had a prayer and healing service in this very building this afternoon as we prayed for an hour and a half as multiple people came and prayed and said, God, would you bless this person in their moment of need? That's looking out for others' interests. That's humility. You could have been watching the TV, whatever you could have been doing, but people were here praying for others. This is humility. This is service. The Spirit of Christ in us. Music has been played here tonight. Coffee is prepared. Everything that goes on in this place where service happens, this is humility playing out and it creates unity. You know why? Because if someone's concerned about your interests, you can't be driven away from them, can you? Humility drives us into each other. Despite our diversity, despite the differences that you have with the person sitting next to you, I want to tell you, if you serve them, it will drive you two together. Division cannot exist when we are operating for the sake of the other, for their good. 
Not, not false humility, trying to fake it and just serve it so that we feel good about ourselves, but true, genuine humility. How can I bless them? How can I do good to this person? Imitating Christ's humility is the basis for unity in the church. Everything we do, Paul says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. But in everything, look to others' needs and concerns ahead of your own. And this is how the church becomes a counterculture to our world, which is fragmented, which is divided. This is what our world needs at the moment. It needs to see a a unified church. This is an opportunity for us to display Christ to the world around us. Just to finish quickly, you know, humility is not only the basis of unity, but I just wanted to pick this up at the end here. Humility is also the basis for joy in your life. If you're feeling lacking joy here tonight, I want to tell you, just humbly serve someone else and the joy level will rise in your heart. We see this where Paul says to the Philippians that they can make his joy complete. Paul's saying, hey, I want you to be... I want you to be in for the other. I want you to be looking out for their needs, invested in them. And you know what Paul's doing as he writes here? He's invested in the Philippians. He's in it for their interests. He's in it for their concerns. He's wanting them to be built up in the things of Christ, the things of God. And he says, as you grow to the fullness of maturity of what God wants for you, my joy levels rise up. As I serve you, my joy levels rise up. In God's kingdom, joy is found through service, through being invested in others. This is God's way of life. This is what he intended. And humility, therefore, is where life is found. Are you weighed down? Are you sort of lacking joy here tonight? Step into humility. Step into serving others. And so tonight, this is uh, God's word to us. That humility is God's way. John 1 says that Jesus was the Word, and we see humility in Jesus. He's the Word of God, and we see it in His life. That's how God has revealed His Word to us through Christ. I don't know why this is what God wants to speak to us to a church as a church exactly tonight. I just know that this is His Word. And so now, as his people, we have a choice to make in this moment. If you're a Christian here tonight, you have a choice. We have a choice to make corporately together. We can either have faith, take God at his word, receive it, believe it, and act out of it, or we can continue to live out of disbelief in this area of our life. We have a choice between humility or selfish ambition and conceit. We have a choice between unity or division. We have a choice between joy or dissatisfaction. Ultimately, we have a choice between life or death. When God's word comes to us, there's a a decision that needs to be made. How will we respond? And there's part of you in this moment that is thinking, oh man, but if I just think to others' needs, if I'm only concerned about them, I mean, what what happens to me? What about my needs? What about my concerns? How could I ever only care about others and look simply to their needs? 
Well, of course, uh, God says that, we, you know, we are, there's a sense that it's healthy for us to look to the own, our own needs in our own life. But the, the beauty of being in God's kingdom, if you're a Christian here tonight, is that he says, if we trust him, take him at his word, he will always provide what we need. And so that part of you that's thinking, oh, I don't know if I could do that. I've got all these dreams and desires and ambitions. I just want to assure you that God's looking out for you. He's going to bring blessing to your life as you serve others humbly. If you're a Christian here tonight, there is a part of you, the spirit in you, Jesus, Jesus' spirit in you, and he's, he's encouraging you, he's saying, take God at his word. Believe it. Have faith. Lift the horizon of your life beyond simply you up to others. Follow Christ in this way. Hold power in service of others. Hold resources and capacity in service of others. And so as we finish, as we conclude tonight, we have a, a moment where we can have faith. We can respond. We can say, yes, God, I'm, I'm going to take you at your word. I'm going to believe it. And I'm going to move out humility, service towards others. Now let's just uh, pray together as we do that. And so as you've uh, heard God's word to you tonight, as, as we've heard God's word, I just want to encourage you in this moment to let him search your heart and, and you in fact search your heart, search your life. See if there is any way in you, any uh, pattern of behavior at the moment that is, is maybe selfish ambition, vain conceit. Just receive, receive the Holy Spirit's leading and prompting in this moment. And God leads us and, and God guides us and he gives us vision and understanding as to what we are to do. And so as he does that, I want you to just pray and ask God, God, what is it that you would have me do? Maybe it's to stop operating in a particular way, but maybe it is to start something else. Maybe there's something that he's going to drop onto your heart right now in this moment and say, this is how I want you to serve someone. This is how I want you to be humble. Humble yourself. Look out for the interests of others. Just listen to him in this moment. Maybe there's someone that you need to encourage, someone you need to cook a meal for, I don't know. It could be a multitude of things. And now if, if he's put something on your heart, sometimes it just helps if we make a physical response. And so if he has, this won't be everyone here tonight, but if he's, maybe there's something specific on your heart, a specific area of your life, I just want to, as, as your response here tonight to God, just stand uh, in your place just to say, yes, God, I want to be obedient to what you're calling me to do here. I want to follow you and have faith. There's something that God's putting on your heart, an area of your life that you recognize maybe you've been operating out of selfish ambition rather than humility that you need to repent of. Just stand in your place. Acknowledge that before God. Say, yes, God, I want to be obedient. I want to do this. I want to respond to you tonight. These are great moments. These are really important moments as we have faith. As we go, yes, God, I'm going to take you at your word. I'm going to do it. I'm going to step up. I'm going to, I'm going to do what you're calling me to do. 
That's awesome. You can take a seat. And so, God, uh, we, we really want to do this. The world is looking, God. We understand that the world is looking for a counterculture. It, it's fragmented, conflicted, divided. It needs an answer. And you say that you are the answer. And we are to represent you to the world. And so I pray, God, may this church, may we be a unified church. May we be a church, God, that is humble. May we be a church that loves one another well, that looks to the interests of other, that seeks each other's good, that says, I don't want to do anything out of selfish ambition, vain conceit. I want to love others. I want to be humbly serving them. And God, I really believe it. I, I just know it in my guts and in my heart tonight. And if we do that, you will preserve our unity. There will be no conflict, no division. Lord, I pray in Jesus' name against the enemy in this moment who gets in to seek to destroy things and cause conflict and tear us apart. Jesus, save us from the enemy's influence in our lives. Finding us humble people, I pray, Lord God. Oh, Lord, this is who we want to be. And you have given us your spirit so that we might walk in this. Not just talk about it here tonight, not just think about it, but actually walk into it. This very weak opportunity to live by the Spirit. And so I pray that we do that, Lord. With your help, with your enabling, God, help us to do this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Man, God's Word is so good. We want to stand, don't we? We want to respond. We want to cry out to God and say, Lord, we want to be with everything. We really want to do that. It's hard. I know that's a big thing to sing, but just, just say it as honestly as you can to God tonight. Say, God, yes, I want to be all in for you. I want to love you with everything that I have and love others in doing so. So let's stand, worship Him as we sing this song together. Let's put our hands together tonight as we give thanks and honour and worship our great God. Lord, we thank You. We thank You. Lord, that you are worthy of all of our praise tonight. We thank you that you are a God who is moving. And our prayer tonight, Lord, as we've heard your word, is that you would find in us a humble people, always looking to bless others, great God, laying our lives down. Just as you came, you laid your life down for us. We want to follow your example, great God. We want to be known as those who seek to serve others just as you came not to be served but to serve in the same way Lord may we be marked by that as your people Lord and Lord our heart as as your church here here in Bridgman Downs Lord our heart is that we would be a people who live this our day Lord but we need your help we need your help I pray you'll help us to live humbly in our relationships with one another I pray you'll help us to live humbly in our workplaces in our school communities, in the university, our job sites, wherever you take us, Lord. Help us to put others ahead of ourselves, great God. That is our prayer, that you would help us and fill us to live like this. And here in this community too, Lord, as your church here, help us to do that as well, great God. We thank you for the unity and oneness that we know together. And my prayer, Lord, is that you would protect it, but not only protect it, you take it deeper, great God. Our love for one another caring for one another and loving this community in which you've placed us as well. So use us, we pray. This is our prayer tonight and we give you all the thanks and all the praise and all the glory and we pray this in your name and everybody said, Amen. Can we put our hands together one more time as we give thanks to God. He is worthy. He is so good. You can be seated where you are. If you'd like prayer tonight in some way, do come forward. We'd love to pray for you. Grab one of the pastors.
tonight. And a little bit later on tonight, we need your help to pack up some of the chairs to get ready for our seniors high tea. So take a moment just to chat to one another. And then in a 15 minutes time or so, we're going to get your help to help us stack up all the chairs in here. It would be a real blessing for us as well. Thank you so much. God bless you.